Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. Hear with me the words of the Lord. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. And one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came, and they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand into the wound of his side. And eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, And look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite authors is Wendell Berry. He's a novelist. He's an essayist. He's a poet. He's also a Kentucky farmer. And in my book, he's a modern-day prophet. He wrote a poem a number of years ago entitled The Mad Farmer's Liberation Front. And the poem starts with a description of the way many people have forsaken true values and have embraced Uh, petty appetites that give no long-term meaning for their lives. He writes, love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay, want more of everything ready-made, be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a drawer And when they want you to buy something, they will call you. And when they want you to die for a profit, they will let you know. Well, the only answer to this reality that Wendell Berry describes is to be crazy enough to follow God. He writes, so friends, every day do something that won't compute Love the Lord, love the world, love someone who does not deserve it. Ask questions that have no easy answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias and practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. 
Now, those are curious words. What does it mean to practice resurrection? Well, like many of you, I was raised in the Baptist tradition to think that Easter was just a single day in the year. You know, some of my earliest memories were waking up on Easter Sunday morning to discover that the Easter bunny had made his annual visit, wearing a new suit of clothes to church, visiting relatives, eating a big meal, and hunting Easter eggs with my sister and our, our cousins at my grandmother's house. But come Monday, it was all over. Jesus was out of the grave, Christ had risen, death had been defeated. I could now return to my now more or less everyday ordinary life. So what difference should the resurrection of Christ make in our lives? Is it just a piece of information? Is it just a belief? Is it just a, a doctrine that we trot out once a year and celebrate and then we stick back into a drawer until Easter rolls around again? Well, I believe the resurrection of Christ makes all the difference in the world. It's the difference between seeing our daily lives as just a disconnected random series of events that have no particular meaning outside our own narrow, restricted, immediate concerns or, on the other hand, seeing ourselves in our daily lives that we lead in a much broader scope, one that transcends even our own sense of time. We are, in fact, actors in a larger, grander, sweeping drama of God's making that has been in motion since the beginning of time itself. And our stories, our personal stories, are part of a much larger story in which the centerpiece, the principal moment in time in which all of human history revolves around is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reality of Christ and his resurrection should be more determinative over our lives than anything else including our fears, including our worries, and including our doubts. We need, as Wendell Berry says, to learn to practice resurrection. Now, in our scripture lesson for today from the book of John, the disciples are only concerned about their immediate circumstances. They're experiencing an existential crisis, as we say. Jesus is dead the one whom they had placed all their hopes, they had placed all their dreams, the last three years of their lives is gone, and now they've locked themselves away in a room, and they need help. They are afraid. And even though Mary had already told them that she had seen the Lord risen from the dead, her testimony fails to penetrate their reality. So for now, the disciples are in hiding They've locked themselves in the room, as John says, for fear of the Jews. Now, to be honest, they have every right to be fearful. They've seen the fury of the Jewish leaders directed at Jesus, and they assume that they might be the next targets. I'm sure they've assumed rightly. The Jewish leaders would be more than happy to root out the last remnants of Jesus' followers, and the disciples can imagine themselves being hunted down like animals. 
And if the Jewish leaders can kill Jesus, then nobody is safe. And so the disciples are hiding behind locked doors. I can just see them sitting quietly, whispering among themselves, listening for footsteps, fearing a knock at the door, just imagining the worst. They're afraid, and if I'd been there, I probably would have been afraid too. I mean, crucifixion is a terrible way to die. They had believed in Jesus. They had loved him. They had left everything to follow him, and they could hardly believe that it had ended so terribly, and they went in hiding for fear of the Jews, and I can't say I blamed them. The disciples are locked in a room, prisoners of their fear and even their own guilt, and they need help. But then an interesting thing happens. Jesus appears in their midst. He walks right through the locked door, and he says at once both the most ordinary and the most absurd thing, peace be with you. It was the most common greeting of the day, shalom. But given the circumstances, peace is perhaps the last thing these frightened disciples are experiencing. Have you ever been in a situation like that in your life? You're all down in some deep, dark, difficult place. Someone walks in with very good intentions. They say, peace be with you. Everything's going to be all right. They mean well. They may be right, but deep down, you're not quite as confident as they are that everything is going to be all right. But for Jesus, these words are not just a common greeting. They're the fulfillment of a promise. The last time that they were together, Jesus had told his disciples that regardless of what threatened them in this world, that they would share in his peace. However, just saying it had not made it so. Now, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, has come back to make good on that promise. And when he tells them, peace be with you, he is giving them what they need to claim that peace as a reality in their lives. Now, later, Jesus shows them the holes in his hands and the holes in his side, Signs that his body had been, had been crucified, yet he stands before them, breathing and speaking and, and wearing these marks of death. Peace be with you, he says, for the bonds of sin are broken. And then he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some people call this the quiet Pentecost. The more dramatic coming of the Spirit will come later, after his ascension into heaven, when the Spirit comes as a violent wind and with tongues of fire resting on the people there in the upper room. But for right now, behind locked doors, Jesus breathes his own life and his own mission into his disciples. And they will now both share in his power and his responsibility, sharing the good news of God's grace that can wash away the old life and put a new one in its place. Peace be with you. Now, the peace that Jesus offers is no anesthetic. It's no greeting card, platitude. 
It's the beginning of a new world, the long-awaited world of God's shalom, God's peace. It brings freedom from fear, freedom from sin, freedom from death. Jesus opens the door that the disciples locked, and he shows them the way to resurrection reality and to resurrection life. Oh, it's easy for us now, isn't it, to, uh, in hindsight, <laughs> to be critical of those disciples, how could they have been with Jesus all of that time, not understand what he had tried to teach them? Did they not know that he would rise from the dead? Had he not told them he would, but they would not believe him? Why are they so afraid? Why are they so fearful? Why are they so doubtful? Well, are there not times in our lives when we, like those disciples, want to lock ourselves in a room somewhere and just hide? I know I do. You know, we live in pretty frightening times. Almost every week, if not every day now, we're reminded how dangerous a world that we live in, how fragile our security is, where someone who is angry enough with the world can, in a matter of moment, take the lives of innocent people. We live in a country with the reality that we could be a target of a violent and treacherous act at any given moment. But of course, it doesn't take anything as dramatic as a lone gunman or a terrorist to frighten us, to make us want to lock ourselves inside a room and pull the, pull the covers over our heads. There are smaller, more personal things that can frighten us as well. Things like a lump where there should be no lump, blood where there should be no blood, a dark spot on an x-ray, a loved one gets sick, really sick, and the thoughts of serious illness just crowds everything out. Then there are times when we find ourselves afraid when there's no life or death issues at stake, times when the money runs out before the month is over with, the old car starts making some strange noises. It's midnight. Our son or our daughter isn't home yet. We go to work only to find that our job has been terminated. We notice a damp spot on our ceiling and realize the heating and air unit is leaking. It needs to be replaced. I could go on and on and on. What do we do when things go wrong with our lives well, a great deal depends on how we think about God, what we think about him. When times get rough, and they do for everyone at one time or the other, no one's exempt, it's good to know that we walk with God and he walks with us. On that first Easter evening, the disciples had forgotten that fact. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had assumed that that was the end. They went into a hiding place and they, they locked the doors for fear of what would come next. They could not imagine that even God could bring their dead hopes back to life. But then Jesus appears in their midst. He walks through a locked door and he says to them, peace be with you. And the disciples needed to hear that. Their nerves were jangled. Their hopes were dashed. They were scared to death. And then Jesus came. He could bring them peace because he was still alive. 
their meeting with Jesus that evening, it transformed their lives. They would often face danger again, but they would never cower in a locked room afraid for their lives. Now, thankfully, we have a record of what happened to those disciples after that first Easter evening. They didn't remain behind locked doors. In the book of Acts, we catch a glimpse of what happened after they walked out of that room. The peace that Jesus promised abounded. In the power of the Spirit, they began to live what they claimed. Their fear of having been buried in an empty tomb at Easter, and they began to practice resurrection. You know, the fact is that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to shatter into a thousand little pieces when things go wrong. He's with us too. And we can make choices that are based upon that knowledge. When life knocks us down, we can choose to lie there and do nothing, or we can choose to get up and start again. We can choose to cower behind locked doors, or we can choose to walk in the sunlight of God's presence. We can choose to set, see our lives as just a bunch of random events in which God could care less, or we can see our lives as full of meaning because we are part of a grander scheme that God has for us. We can choose to see Easter as one day a year where we gather together and celebrate his resurrection or we can learn to practice resurrection every single day of our lives. Folks, if a lost and dying world is to know resurrection, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus must practice it. We must think of new ways to bring the power of Easter to this world and to act it out daily. We must become conduits of the love and the energy of the Almighty God. We must become the presence of Christ in the world. We must necessarily be the hands and the, the feet of Jesus. We must be Christian, which means little Christ's. We're to be everyday reminders to people that death in all of its forms is not the final word. As citizens of the coming kingdom of God, we're called to give testimony to the world of God's incredible power, which even now is bursting forth. And this means as followers of Jesus, we're called to not only be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, but also participants in it. Jesus' resurrection creates and provides the energy and conditions by which we live our lives as new creatures in Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus invites us to be full participants in that reality. You know, the last, I don't know, number of years, there's been a lot of talk, things written that, you know, the church is in decline in the United States. Some people say it's in the process of dying there's no denying the church is declining in numbers. That's just a, a fact for a number of reasons that I'm not going to get into today. But folks, let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is not going to die. Not if I read my Bible correctly. But folks, let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ 
if it's to be the church that God calls it out to be, the resurrection of Christ has to be a reality in our lives, and we must be participants in it. Now, what does that mean for church on Maine? It means that God has already given us all that we need to be the church that he calls us to be. All the people, all the gifts, all the resources exist already for us to be the church he calls us to be in the here and now. And if God wants us to have more people, if he wants us to have more gifts, if he wants us to have more resources, he will provide them. I believe that. But for now, what we need is everyone who is part of this church to be participants and to exercise their God-given gifts and if God has given us all the gifts that we need, we need every person to get busy exercising their gifts, no matter how big or small they may seem to you. We don't know what the future holds, but God does, and he knows what we need for that future. So we need to stop grasping at what we haven't been given and receive what we have been given and offer it to God. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Practicing resurrection means becoming full participants in it. And how do we do that? Participating in and practicing resurrection is somewhat similar to what we mean when we say that a, a physician has a medical practice or a lawyer has a legal practice. She practices medicine. He practices law. And in the case of the church, because we're followers of the risen Lord, we practice resurrection. And practicing resurrection means we have to work at it over time. It's like learning to hit a curveball or to play scales on a piano or to hit a nail on, a, on the head. Resurrection takes practice, practice, practice. And when we do the things that Jesus did and we keep at it day after day after day, worship, prayer, discipleship, forgiving and receiving forgiveness, caring for the least of these, loving our enemies, encouraging and exhorting one another, then we will be competent in being Easter people and living a resurrection life. Practicing resurrection is the intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to put the power of Easter into our lives. It's to live in a way that Jesus calls us to live. As we celebrate this last Sunday of Eastertide, I would invite you to consider that we should not only care about what happened one Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, which is extremely important, but we should also care about how we are living today. You know, one of my beloved heroes of the faith, his name's Clarence Jordan. He once said, the proof that God raised Jesus from the dead is not the empty tomb, but the full hearts of his transformed disciples. The crowning evidence that he lives is not a vacant grave, but a spirit-filled fellowship. It's not a rolled-away stone, 
but it's a carried away church. The question is, how are we partnering with God today in transforming despair into hope, apathy into compassion, hate into love, death into new life? When we are daily faced with darkness, with wars and rumors of wars, with medical tests that give answers that we don't want to hear, with children who sometimes don't do what we want them to do, with the prospect of losing a job, with whatever might be troubling us, let us remember that we are in the hands of the one who loves us and who is committed to us the resurrected Christ comes to us even behind the locked doors of our lives. And he says to us, peace be with you. But he also comes and he says, be who you are called to be. Be who I've given you the power to be and live it, live it day after day after day. Practice resurrection. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the center of it all. It's all about him. Everything else is just fingers pointing to the moon. It may be glimpses of the kingdom, but Jesus is the center of it all. Maybe there's someone here this morning that's never accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. I'd love to talk to you about that, how you might do that. Perhaps there's someone here that would like to join this church and become a participant in what we believe God is doing here in our midst. We believe he is at work. Or maybe there's some other decision. I'll be out by the Welcome Center at the church if you, if you want to talk about that. I just want to take a personal moment here. Today is my, mine and Luann's 35th wedding anniversary. I have most of my children, our grandchildren here, and Chuck is, Chuck Lee is part of our extended family. <laughs> but uh, anyway, glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us, hope that you'll come back and, and visit with us again. Let's stand together as we have our benediction. Oh God, we've met to worship you as a fellowship of believers in Christ. You've spoken to us in song and in prayer and in the proclamation of your word. And as we prepare to leave this place of comfort and security, go with us as only you can and strengthen and sustain us and encourage us to, to be the Easter people that you've called us to be. May our lives become more conformed to the image of your Son. May our lives reflect his image in the lives of those we encounter this week. May the reality of the resurrection of Christ be a reality in our lives. And help us, Lord, indeed, to practice resurrection we go in the name of Jesus, the one who goes before us. Amen.